1: They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football.
0: Hey it's the No Never podcast, with your host Jamie Smith.
2: Good evening and welcome to this week's No Name Ever podcast. Apologies for the slight lateness this week. We had a a little bit of a personnel issue on Monday when we normally record, so we did have to put it back a bit. But we're here now. Uh, Guests this week are Kevin Robinson and Adam Heap, mostly we will be hearing from Newcastle United fan Scott Goodacre and QPR fan Juliet Harris later in the podcast as well. We've got Player of the Month to announce as well and details of how you can vote for No Name Ever in a little award ceremony that's coming up as well. So lots and lots to get through on this week's podcast but let's start by talking about the weekend's game a 2 all draw at Leicester City thanks to Ross Wallace, hero Ross Wallace still can't get used to that idea in my head that, that Ross Wallace was our hero um, Adam we'll start with you then, what did you make of, of Burnley's performance on Saturday? Uh, better I think is
3: probably <laughs> the way to put it
0: It's certainly going
2: um, to been worse could it?
3: Yeah, no, it was a uh, definitely a, a better shout all round from everyone. Um the team seemed to be pretty uh, pretty keen to right the wrongs of uh, West Brom. Um none more so than Wallace who came on and uh, and decided he wanted to prove my uh, my theory of human lamppost wrong. <laughs> I, I said on the
2: site after the West Brom game that if he never starts for Burnley again it'll be too soon, I think, so yeah, well, he was on. The, he came off the bench, so I not, Still feel quite vindicated by that. Um, Kevin, what were your thoughts on Saturday's performance?
4: Um, yes, well, it was. I, I've been calling for for weeks. But I've, I've said I'll be happy with the results Um, as long as we score. So we did that. We did it twice, which was, which was incredible. I think, I don't know what's happened to the world, but we've we scored two goals in the space of ninety minutes, which, which which is is unheard of. Um. We still conceded two, um, which is a bit of a worry after um, we had such a solid defence for so long. Um, but then you also got to consider that we did—we we still had um, Marnie and, and Jones out. Um, so we're probably not going to be as solid in the middle. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm just really happy to to have scored because it is that, that monkey off our backs. And hopefully we can go on and build from that a bit more now.
2: The goals thing is absolutely crucial. I know we talked about it on the podcast last week, but... After we went 1-0 down as well, he, there was a sense in, in the away end, especially that it, it, everything had been quite positive up to then. The atmosphere had been great, but since soon as Leicester scored, everyone was a bit more, ah, well, it could be the same as last week. Now, they might do the same as West Brom, because at West Brom we've been OK for the first half hour, but it was a really good reaction, and to get yeah. that goal was absolutely vital.
4: I think I think following it from from the outside as well, we had that, that that similar feeling. It was okay. Here we go again, almost 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 game over. We thought, I mean, I, which is I know um, I'm going to have the, the negative brigade on me again for saying that, but it it, it did feel you know there we go. That's, that's that's the game gone. Especially because Leicester have been so in in, in quite good form this season, and um, we haven't, especially especially scoring goals. It, it did feel like. That's it. Um, it's all happening again. So it was really good to, like I say to come and recover from that and 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 keep ourselves in the game.
2: But the goal we scored was quite well made. I felt. I mean, it was it was probably a little bit direct, but it's a good ball to to Jukovic from our field and Kaito. He's done well to get on the end of it. So I think that yeah. put us back in the game. We were still celebrating it really in the away end because we were so shocked at scoring when when Leicester went and scored again and ruined all our fun.
4: I think I think as well, although it was a scrappy goal, it's exactly the type of goal we need to we needed to score as well. I think I'd much rather score that than than another like like our last goal, our field, which was a kind of a screamer from distance. Because anyone can anyone can score score a scream if you get a ball from so far and hit it in. Whereas actually our problem so far this season has been getting numbers into the box. We've really struggled to get to get forward in in in, in numbers and get players. Often Duke's been in the box by himself with no one to head it down to. Um, so to have Duke heading it down with um, with Kiteley and Marino. Barnes could have also got a touch as well so there's actually three players right there right in front of goal was really really encouraging because it's probably, probably the first time that's happened all season actually
2: yeah I think getting getting men around the box was crucial for that first goal and, and Adam the, the big thing for me from the game is the, the character that we showed to, to get the point right at the end and with so many players that injured I mean we had a patched-up team at West Brom and got taken apart, but it was pretty much the same sort of team at Leicester. Barnes had come in, and Stephen Ward played central midfield. And but Kieran Trippier had gone off injured by the time Wallace scored the free kicks. So we were extremely stretched. But to bring up such an improved performance, that's got to be a good sign.
3: Yeah, it was uh, really excellent. Um, there are a lot of standout performers too. I mean, uh, people seem to lift their game. Um, I'm not sure whether it was just because we were familiar with Leicester and we thought that uh, maybe this is um, just one of those games that w- we might get, be able to get something from if we just stick in it, and and they never got that two-goal two goal cushion ahead of us, thankfully, which was uh, allowed us back in that game right at the very uh, the death of it. Um, I mean Leicester, uh, they they seemed a little the opposite. They seemed as if they thought that they maybe that, that this was a couple of nailed-on points for them, given that they uh, defeated us. Uh, quite handily last season towards the end, and uh, and we seem like that easy game to everyone. Um, and I think more, I think uh, Ben Mee probably typified the spirit of the game, uh, just in for every challenge, never willing to uh, give anyone any space around him, putting some great blocks and tackles in, phenomenal. Ben
2: Mee's commitment
3: is never in doubt, I suppose, but I did think he probably could have done better for the
2: first last goal. Is another cross that he's not stopped, but he's not solely at fault for that goal, I think. If you're leaving someone on mark running into the box, then there's quite a good chance they're going to get on the end of it. But yeah, Ben me certainly commitment, not a problem at all. Um, Kevin, there's been a lot of talk after the game about um, what Nigel Pearson had to say after the the match. He said that that Leicester had dominated the game. Uh, a lot of our fans got quite upset about that, but it doesn't really matter, does it? What the opposition manager has to say.
4: Yeah, I think we uh, I think we had someone on the site saying that we should, be, we should be making a big deal of that. But to be honest... So- I really, really don't care. I don't care what our own manager says, to be honest. Uh, never mind what another manager says. I think manager comments are very, very, very rarely interesting at all. Um, I never read them. Um, and to be honest, Pearson has just lost a match in the 97th seventh eight minute or whatever it was. So I think you can... If there is some justification for him being a little bit frustrated, and I think if you asked him now, he probably wouldn't give the same answer. Um, So yeah, fans always like to get hot hot and bothered when someone criticises our team, but I really,
2: it's yeah, I don't care. I don't care either. But uh, yeah, I I can see why people were upset. But like you say, just in his team lose two points in the last minute, so he was probably understandably in a bad mood. and um, we were hoping to have a Leicester fan with us this evening, but unfortunately he's not been able to make it. But um Jim Knight is one of the more magnanimous Leicester City fans around. There seems to be a lot of awful, awful people support that football club for some reason. I don't know why they've been all so bad, but anyway, Jim said on Twitter straight after the game, he said, well played today. We didn't deserve a win. Fair play to those that made the trip plenty of noise in the away and gotta point that out as well, the away support was absolutely fantastic. Probably the best away day I've ever been on. It was absolutely brilliant. Jim also said, we barely had any of the ball second half. On another day, we could have been done 4 or 5-1. Um, a point each was fair. It's funny what beating Manu will do to you, too. It was a fair result. You had several very good chances before the equaliser. Um, Adam, know, it's probably a fairer assessment of the game than, than what Nigel Person and a lot less City fans had to say afterwards.
3: Yeah, I think it was. Um, uh, I think most people seem to concede that uh, Leicester were the better team the first half, and uh, Burnley were the better team the second half, and that pretty much equals itself out to a uh, to a draw um, with a couple goals to uh, to get there. I think um, that I I thought if any team probably well, we us, um, given we were playing away from home, where we've got a notoriously bad track record, and uh, and I thought we were we were better in the second half than Leicester were good in the first half. Um, lots of chances created. Um, Leicester still had the, that ability to get in behind us. I think um, their wing has caused us a bit of trouble. Um, but uh, but overall, if, if any team deserved to win, it should have been us.
2: Yeah, Moraes in particular was a threat. I think, obviously, he scored the, scored the second when we probably switched off a little bit after, we, after we'd scored. I think all the players were just so excited that they'd scored a goal as well stopped defending for a few moments and it was as who put the cross in for the first of all so he certainly caused a few issues but apart from that I think we, we dealt with Leicester pretty well really Nugent obviously was on the bench and came on and didn't really do that much or Joel has had a very good start to the season didn't really do a lot I was worried about Jamie Vardy because he's so good at winning penalties that's probably a, a euphemistic it way of saying he's a bit of a cheat but Yeah, Vardy and Julie didn't really cause any problems at all. Um, Kevin, I thought one of the the best points for us was how well our patched-up midfield did, especially considering how dreadful they were the week before. Stephen Ward and Scott Arfield seemed to form a a decent partnership in midfield.
4: Uh, Yeah, and it it, it was again, it was like um, similar to to last week where you, you looked at the team sheet and you thought, What's what's you know what's going to happen here because our field has never I don't I, I don't think he's ever had a good game in midfield for us until until Saturday. No, absolutely um, spot it's,
2: it's
4: uh, And obviously Ward is is a left back, so um, uh, I know he's a few guys have pointed out, but he's he can be quite versatile, but he is a left back. Um, so filling him for, for for Jones and Marnie, who are so specialist in that uh, central midfield I area, mean, so. Just, just brilliant. So, what they do is, is always going to be a big task for someone who is a midfielder like Arfield. He struggled to come in. Um, so, for a left back to come in and do it, do it so well, uh, it's got to be applauded. And but again, I think you've also got to remember we did we did concede two goals as well. Um, we've not been we certainly weren't as solid um, as we have been previously. Um, I don't know if that's through personnel, just because Marnie and Jones are out of his tactics, or if if um, Sean Dash has been reading the site this week. Um, and decided to to push the players forward a little bit. I've noticed that every time we 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 give a suggestion, we uh we seem to do that the week after. So maybe he does he does read the site.
2: If he's reading the site, then Sean, what you need to do is stop them scoring and make sure that we score, and then we'll start to win games. It's it's really simple. <laughs> That's how it all works. Um, Adam, another player who came in was Ashley Barnes, and although we. we I have been a bit disparaging about him on the podcast before. He certainly gave us a bit more of a platform in an attacking sense, and seems to have a, a decent, a decent start towards a partnership with with York Yorkridge as well.
3: Yeah, I, um, he, I think he, he picked over Sordell because he's um, maybe a little more uh, a little more physical. And that was probably quite important to uh, muscle the uh, Leicester defenders off. I mean, especially when they've got someone like Wes Morgan sitting at the uh, the centre of their defence. I think uh, I mean I'm really in your camp. I don't think Barnes is probably our long term striking option. Um, But uh, uh, so whatever partnership he has with Jukovitz may be pretty short lived. But uh, for now, until we get either uh, Ings or Vokes back, both of who I think are preferable options for the Premier League. then, uh, then you know, it was it was a good performance, I guess. Uh, not great, but not outstanding. But uh, but enough to uh, to contribute to the team and, and earn us that draw. I think we've got to touch on
2: on Ross Wallace again as well. I mean, the the thing for me about the free kick is how much pressure is under when he steps up to take that. I mean, it's 95 something on the clock with seven out of minutes, so we're probably not gonna get another chance. He knows that. It's up to him to score it and if he scores it we're probably gonna get a point. So although he is a set piece specialist, to, to be able to come up with the goods when it counts it's probably a sign of, of Wallace's character as much as anything, especially when he's been so poor the week before and been taken off at half time.
4: He looked he looked so so relaxed as well, didn't he? He looked like uh you know when you've gone FIFA and you've got that little training game before, he looked like he was just messing, <laughs> up, messing around messing around like it was just complete you mean it just, it just he just strolled up to the ball and just, just, just whipped it in like it was, uh, like it was just an everyday thing. And obviously, his celebration was the complete opposite. It looked like he just won the Champions League. <laughs>
2: that's that's why you practice them so long on the training ground, isn't it? Because it means when you need to score one, it means it's more automatic. And I, I did feel Casper Schmeichel maybe gave him a bit too much goal to aim at, but it's taking nothing away from Wallace's free kick, you have still got to score it. and yeah, and, and the wall wasn't great. Was it Adam? Last the, the way they defended that freak, it was pretty poor, but Wallace still yeah. gets all the credit for scoring it.
3: Yeah, I couldn't I couldn't really tell whether they jumped or not. It seemed like one or two of them decided they were going to jump. One or two of them decided they were already looking the other way when it uh, when it happened. They they seemed pretty uh unsure of what, what their exact role was, but uh, but either way, I mean, it, you know it was measured pretty well i thought when uh dipped the the dip on it is in, incredible considering uh how how I, my initial doubt when the free kick was there was that it was too close to uh get up and over a wall potentially and uh, again yeah i think schmeichel may be a foot away from uh how, how close he would have liked to be but i'm um, just on whilst being calm for it i i mean i'm assuming that he's he's probably been quite outstanding in free kicks during uh during training session because there's not a single other person that wants him to take it.
2: No, I think as soon as we get a free kick in that situation, it's probably going to be Wallace. It was on the on the right side for him to take it without left foot, and with Trippy being off the pitch as well, and Jones not being involved, I think that was probably um, just an automatic selection. I think with the distance, you right when you say it, it's the dip that that really makes that free kick because you can get it all over the wall easily enough, but it's getting it to come back down again. So lots and lots of credit for to Ross Wallace for that free kick and hopefully we'll see a, a few more of those over the season. Um with with Burnley being so patched up, I suppose it was an opportunity for some players to to make their cases for a place in the side. And that's why this week's question of the week was what is our strongest eleven of course. Seven players missing by the end of the Leicester City game after Trippier had gone off injured. There was already no no Ings, no Volks, no Jones, no Marnie, no Shellabarton, no Matt Taylor either. So once everyone's fit and available, we're hoping that a lot of them are going to be back for the West Ham game after the break. What's, what's Sean Dyche going to do? Does everyone come straight back into the side? That was our question of the week. Adam, you've got some of the responses in front of you.
5: Uh, yeah, uh, the question of the week, uh, as Jamie says, was when our, when everyone is fit and, uh, and available, what is our strongest team? Uh, George Poole said, It would be Heaton, Trippier, Shackle, Duff, Me, Arfield, Marnie, Jones, Boyd, Ings and Vokes. By the way, there's a lot of this listing players uh, in in this question of the week. Uh, Ben says uh, Heaton, Trippier, Duff, Shackle, Me, Arfield, Jones, (laughs) Marnie, Kitely, Ings and Vokes. Uh, So that, that was the same, wasn't it? That was the same one. No, that had Kitely instead of Boyd.
2: Okay. Ky Kyle Boyd is probably one of the one of the yeah, debatable that's, that's ones. The
5: thing. Um Mick puts Keane in the defence. He says Heaton, Trippier, Sheckle, Keane, Ward, Boyd, Marnie, Jones, Arfield, Ings, and Vokes. So Ward is coming from for for someone. Um not really sure what formation that is either. But hey, uh, this is Twitter. This is what <laughs> happens. <laughs> I th- I, th- I was really impressed with Ward,
2: especially coming in for his debut, playing out of position, and he got booked in the first seven minutes or so, probably a little bit unfairly, so mentally, meant that he basically couldn't make a tackle after that, but I thought he did really, really well. Defensively, I suppose, uh, the spotlight comes on on Duff and me as the as the more vulnerable players, but I not Michael Keynes really pressed his claim that much. He did okay when he came on at Leicester, but during the week... He'd given away a goal inside 10 seconds in a in a under-21s game at Turf Mall. So whether he's ready or not would be an interesting one. Um, Adam, we'll come to you then on question of the week. Do you agree with some of the teams that we've had or would you be keeping faith with some of the players who played the last two games? The strongest 11 seems to be quite similar to the team that played last season.
3: Yeah, and that probably shows uh, how well we uh, signed players during the off-season. I think... Um... I think, I think Boyd is probably a good shout. It really, my, my strongest 11 would depend on whether at home or away because I think at home we can afford to play that four four two, 4 2 And in that formation, I think I'd probably personally rather see Boyd than um, uh Away from home, maybe. Uh, I'd, I'd definitely prefer only one up front in that five in midfield because uh, you, you get very quickly outnumbered if you play uh, with the, that one short man in midfield because as, as most teams tend to play that, that five man these days.
2: It depends on the opposition as well, doesn't it? I mean I thought Leicester were gonna play a sort of four three three, four, five, one, but Person changed it in the in the end and um, swapped Nugent out and brought in wingers instead. So yeah, if the opposition's gonna play a variation of four four two then we can get away with it with mum as well because we've shown in the Swansea game and the Manchester United game that we can do that and we'll And that we can play well, especially if Jones and Marnie are fit. But yeah, I think you're right. If the opposition are going to play a five in midfield, then we probably have to think about matching them. Um, Kevin, if we come to you then, Boyd or Kitely is probably one of the bigger shouts. But I wonder how much um, Sam Volks is. is, Sam Volks surely won't come straight back into the side when he's available because Jutkowicz has done so well as well. What would your strongest haven't been?
4: Um... Yeah, I think I think my my strongest eleven. Um, dis, if we just discount Sam Vokes for now, my strongest eleven is probably uh, the team at the start of the season, except with with in for uh, for Taylor. Um, question marks perhaps over between me and Ward, but um, Dice seems happy with with me at the moment, so um, let's stick with that for now. Um, Vokes, I think he'll be eased in. Um, obviously, he's been out for a long time, so he'll probably have a few, few substitute appearances. But I don't think it would be once he's back to once he's ready to play a full ninety minutes. I think he'll probably be be, be in for, for Djokovic, um, unless he does terribly well in his, his substitute appearances. I think yeah, Djokovic is doing really well. Um, he's probably one of our better players for me, um, despite having not a lot to do all season because the ball's been nowhere near him. Um, but I I, I, I do think we're probably going to be more of a goal threat with Sam Vaux in the team because I think he provides a similar kind of foil that that Djokovic does. But I think Vaux has probably still got that extra goal threat as well. So, um, yeah, I don't think there's any room for sentimentality when when you're fighting against relegation. Djokovic might be doing well. Uh, but unless he scores a hat, hat full of goals before Fox uh, is ready, I think vaux will come straight back in as soon as he's ready to play 90 minutes.
2: I think scoring one goal, <laughs> let alone a, a hat full of goals, would be a good start for, for Yeah, I think he's he's doing very well, but he, he does need to score. I think he's getting closer, but the longer it goes on, I suppose the more pressure is on him. I think the key thing about vaux coming back in is that he reunites the and the named partnership that was so good last season. I don't think Ings has been the same without him. And at the end of last season, when Ings was injured, I don't think Vox was the same without Ings either. So the sooner we can get those two playing again together, uh, the better. And I think Boyd, I think Boyd's just more suited for when we're at home. So the next two games after the international break should suit him much better when we'll have more of the ball and he can get involved in the play. Because obviously, he's he's the creative threat at the moment. And we need to get him involved in the final third. Otherwise, he's going to be a passenger a lot of the times. There's one other comment on Twitter about this question of the week, it was from Matt Hall and he said, I think everyone's mostly in agreement of the 10, just whether it's Boyd or Kitely. I think that was probably fair although I would be going Ward over Ben Mean now, I think it's just too many goals coming from Ben Meen's side, I'm a big fan of him but we are conceding far too many goals from his wing so I'll be looking at Ward after he was so good in the Leicester game, so that was this week's question of the week, we'll have that again on the podcast next week but the next thing on the agenda for this week's podcast is player of the month uh, September wasn't the best month for Burnley, let's be honest. There were no goals and just two points from nil-nil draws, as well as that 4-0 defeat at West Brom that we'll try not to mention ever again. So it was probably no surprise that the winner played no part in the, in the latter of the three games. And the winner was David Jones, who on his first known in-ever Burnley Express Player of the Month Award. He took 26% of the vote and it was quite spread out this month with a lot of leading candidates. So Jones did extremely well to win that. And Jones said, it's always a great accolade when you vote for any award, but when it's the fans who decide it, it's special. And I'm very grateful to be named the player of the world by no one ever. He said, particularly so because I feel it could have been any one of the lads. It's been a real team effort so far, and I'm looking forward to be being back fit and helping the team to get results and climb the table. So well done to David Jones, and hopefully he will be back for the West Ham game. And second place, by the way, with a tie. Last month it was Michael Duff and Lucas Jukovic who were in second place. Um, Adam, do you think that's fair enough? Do you think Jones was the standout player in September?
3: Yeah, I think his I think his own comments pretty uh pretty accurate there. Um, uh, had a good partnership with Marnie, very creative. Uh, showed some fantastic skill in the uh, Manchester United. Really could have gone to uh, quite a lot of players given we were quite poor in front of goal and uh, and good defensively, but uh, I, th- I think he. That that partnership and he's, where he's really found someone who works well with him in the center of the field uh, probably uh, helped him helped him grab the award for this this month.
2: The, the Jones and Marnie partnership, we all knew how good it was, but Kevin not having them the last couple of games it probably highlighted it even more, hasn't it? Um,
4: yeah, well, I've said it a couple of times, but I think we we will. I'm almost a hundred percent certain we wouldn't we wouldn't have conceded six uh, goals in two games if if. if um... Marnier and Jones were in there. We probably wouldn't have conceded two against Leicester either. Um, although it was a good result there, I, I still think um, we probably could have been a bit more solid with with those two in the team. Um, so, yeah, I, I like to say, I, I, I think it was really fitting that, that the player of the month didn't play any part in West Brom because it, that was an atrocious performance all, all around. Um, so, yeah, it was it was deserved.
2: Yeah, I'm pleased to see Yukvich get some recognition there as well because I do think he's he's had it pretty tough the last few games, just not having a lot of service and a bit of recognition for Michael Duff as well. He's been really excellent, so it's it's good to see those two picked yeah. out because they're probably a little bit underrated, I think.
4: You know, Michael Duff's come second uh, in both months now so far. He's come he came second in August and September, so he's he's obviously been one of our most consistent performances this season coming to uh to the to the
2: fans yeah excellent and while we're on the topic of awards actually um, we are in the running for some FBA awards this is a football blogging awards that was started a few years ago um, voting closes on the 10th which is Friday so you don't have a lot of time to contribute if you do want to help us win we're up for three different categories the established categories for blogs that have been going for, for more than two years and we've been going for four years now four and a half years or so so we're up for that one. Uh, the club specific category, we're obviously up for that one. Talking about Burnley, obviously. And the podcast category, you can nominate us in that one as well, um, obviously, for this podcast. So, if if you, no pressure, obviously, we can't make you, but if you do fancy voting for us, all the details are on our website, just slash FBAs. And, um, that's got all the details about it. So you can vote through Twitter or Facebook or through the website. There's various ways you can do it. And like Day. that closes on Friday. So if you do want to vote for us, you need to hurry up. Um, looking ahead then to after the international break, we'll probably have a podcast next week, but hopefully it'll be a special one. Can't tell you what it's going to be yet because we haven't decided, but hopefully it'll be a special one. So looking ahead to the West Ham game, it's a little way away yet, Adam, but with players coming back to fitness... It being a home game, we seem to say this every week, but is
3: this our most winnable game so far? Oh, um, <laughs> yes, I guess. Um, I think, I think, uh, there's quite a lot of teams who, uh, we could, we could see ourselves taking three points off at home, and, and that's uh, I don't want to sound ambitious, but there's there's probably a, a little league starting to form of maybe 10 teams who look like uh, any of them could get relegated in their uh, West Ham. They've had some good performances lately, so maybe they're going to be a little trickier than uh, first anticipated. But um, uh, if there's any if there's any manager I'd like to see us pick up three points at home over first, it's Big Sam. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of Burnley fans feel
2: the same. Of course, he'll be remembered for his time at Blackburn as much as anything else. But Allardyce not particularly popular figure. Um, yeah, West Ham. I've done quite well at the start of the season. They've got ten points already. They're seventh in the league so far, but away from home. Probably not up to much, um, Kevin. The team has got to be thinking of putting some momentum together after the the late points at Leicester, and surely with a home game, that's going to be it's going to be vital for us to get something from that match, isn't
4: it? Yeah, a few people um, have have complained almost that that we've we've got a, an international break after after that great win, but I'm actually of the opposite opinion. I think it's a really it's a really good chance for us actually to, to sit down um, and learn some lessons from from the first two months of the season. I'm sure Di- Sean Dyche will will welcome this opportunity to have a bit more time to work with the team tactically. Um, and it's going to be really good for them to do that in a bit more of a positive state of mind. If they're all sitting down watching DVDs and stuff, um, while they're all feeling a little bit down in the dumps after a 4-0 thrashing, uh, that's not going to be optimal. If they're, they're all going to be sitting down um, feeling really positive about the last game and looking forward to what's coming to coming in the future and hopefully that can only be good good for us. Um, and obviously as well, going hopefully we'll come back with a few more players um, after after international break. It's, 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 we we should be looking a lot brighter than we did uh, a couple of weeks ago. And yeah, I'd, I'm really hoping for our, for our first win of the season in that match um, again. We've had a few good results recently of West West Ham, I think. But it's one of those games where we have to be winning those types of games if we're going to stay in the Premier League. Um, yeah, draws are all draws are well and good, especially away from home. Draws are brilliant. Um, and I'd rather draw games than get beat. And being solid is really good foundations. But it's getting to the stage now where foundations have been laid and now we just need to start building on them because... You, you you don't stay in the Premier League by by drawing every game. We need to start picking up some wins, and this is this is one of those games that if we go down by a couple of by two or three points, this is and we after not winning this match, this will be one of those matches where you'd look back and think, yeah, we we should have done something in that game.
2: Yeah, exactly, and I think it's really crucial that we've got back to back home games as well, Everton. Um, obviously, you don't expect to be tricky, but they've had a pretty poor start to the season. They're only just out of, of the relegation zone at the minute. So, you, Adam, would you say four points from these two games? That would probably be the minimum we can hope for, is not it?
3: Yeah. I think, I th- I think that's, that's probably... Uh, I think evident probably a little, a little trickier task than their uh, their league position suggests. Um Especially given some of the quality and depth in their side, Um, although uh, I'm not sure what their European schedule is, but it would be great to play them if they do have a Europa League game that week, because that seems to be the uh, focus of all their problems. I think personally, I think three points would would be nice. I'd be happy with a win and a a loss from these two games, but four points is probably what we're looking for if we're uh, planning on staying in the division. Yeah, I think if you if
2: you look at the table already there's a bit of a gap opening up. Um I agree with you. I think Everton are in a, a bit of a false position so far. They've just struggled to adapt to, to playing European football and all the away trips and playing Thursday, Sunday, um regularly. So I don't think there haven't been any trouble. So that means we've got four points to make up on stoke already. Which is is doable. You just need to put a couple of wins together, but We've only got four points on the board, and Everton do have an away trip, actually, before the players at Turf Mall. They've got to go to Lille, which is probably one of the tougher games in their Europa League group, so that's a while away now, but probably one that we do need to target as as winnable as well. Um, just finally, then, before we move on to the the last section, um, we'll do a couple of predictions for the, the West Ham game, because um yeah, I think next week's podcast will be a different one. So what are the predictions now? Kevin, give us a prediction for Burnley West Ham at Surfmore. Uh
4: Back to our clean sheet ways, with, hopefully with Johnson and Marnie back. Um, and Djokovic is going to score in the ninth minute and it's going to be a 1-0 win.
2: That's incredibly specific. <laughs> I need to remember that one just in case it does come true. Yeah, I think Johnson and Marnie have got a good chance of being fit. Trippier apparently is going to be fine and... Danny Ings could be back as well. So should be a fairly strong team for this one, Adam. What what are your thoughts?
3: Yeah, I think um, hopefully we'll have as many players back as possible. It would be lovely if uh, Danny Ings could get back into fitness and Marnie could be back in the centre. Yeah. Um, I was actually at uh, Turf Moor the last time we played West Ham at home in the Premier League. And uh, that day, uh, David Nugent scored a uh, lovely little chipped goal and Danny Fox scored a uh, great free kick right in front of me um, when I was there. So I'm going to go for a repeat of that score and pick a 2-1 win for Burnley. That was a good win, that. was a very, very good win. What
2: a few we had. Well, the second half of the season, yeah, absolutely. So hopefully we repeat that and hopefully we'll be able to put... Big Sam to the sword as well. Um, So that's about all for this week's podcast um, from Kevin and Adam. But earlier in the week, I did speak to Newcastle fans Scott Goodacre and QPR fan Juliet Harris to see what's up with their teams. We are the bottom three in the league at the moment. So that's, that's it for this week's podcast, apart from that little package that we'll stick in now. So after seven games, the league table is starting to take shape a little bit and joining Burnley in the bottom three are Newcastle and QPR and on the podcast with us this week we've got Newcastle fan Scott Goodacre and QPR fan Juliet Harris. Um, We'll start with you Jules, it's been a pretty slow start for QPR hasn't it, you are bottom on goal difference at the moment but you have won a game which is more than can be said for either of our teams.
6: Yeah, we're we're obviously clinging to that as much as we can. It's it's not going dreadfully well, is it, really, to put it mildly? Um yeah, not not, not really feeling it very much this season. Thus far.
2: What what do you think it is that's gone wrong? You've had that one win against Sunland, but it's been fairly slow since
6: then this is the most terrible thing i was thinking about it on the way home i i don't know what would make it better i've gone past the point where i can identify individual things that are bad it just seems to me that everything is bad and i've got a horrible feeling i I wouldn't mind so much if i was the only person that had that fear but i've got a feeling it's a view that the manager and the chairman share and that is what is concerning at the moment doesn't feel like there's any direction at all um uh, harry redknapp seems to constantly go for these players that are overpaid and over the hill and it it just doesn't seem to be happening really nobody looked that bothered on on sunday that was the thing um none of the players looked unduly concerned
2: you've got to you've got to wonder if um red Knapp's still up to the fight really don't you i mean he's coming mm. towards the end of his career he's he's done it all before and he's i, I read something about it. he said he doesn't have goal scorers in his side, and from from the little seen range of Rangers so far this season, you've got one and Charlie mm. Austin, who we know yeah. all about. But
6: <laughs> are you
2: getting the right of service to him? It seems like the same problem you had last season
6: at the championship. I think so. I think so. I don't think the midfield's any better, really. I think the problem is, is that we we do have goals. It's not that we don't, because we do, but we we need to, like you say, we need to utilise them, and that's not happening at the moment. And also, we. Don't, Rio, I mean, Rio Ferdinand just just seems out of it, really. I mean, I could defend set pieces better than he could, and that's really not saying a lot. I mean, it, 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 and sorry to sound so depressed, but it, it is difficult to see any highlights at the moment, I must admit. There seem to be very few players uh, that have much about them, really. Everyone just seems to get on the pitch and kind of wander around about for a while, really. And... Uh, you can blame them, I mean, the players are the ones that aren't doing it at the moment, but it makes you wonder, like you say with Harry, just how well motivated they are at the moment and and he's got some questions to answer as well surely i i I don't get the feeling that the Harry magic is really there very much anymore. I think he's just kind of pootling along really, which is good for him, but obviously not fantastic for q p r when it comes down to it.
2: Well, I suppose there's a long way to go, Scott, a lot of the attention at Newcastle's obviously come on on Alan Pardew but the players surely have to take some responsibility as well. And four points from seven point from seven games is not a good enough start for you either, is it?
7: No, not at all. Especially when you think that I mean, out of the seven games, there's only really City who are going to be challenging anywhere near the top. Come the end of the year, that's that six of the teams that really that we should be beaten. To be honest, we well, would expect to be. But then again, we do have high hopes every year.
2: What? Where, where do you think the the problems have come from? Obviously, you've lost Kabai and not really replaced him, and. The new players haven't really settled in so far, have they?
7: Oh, no, not at all. Um, I mean, I, I do think that playing one lad who's new to the league up front on his own and then blaming them when there's five defenders around him every time you hoist the ball from centre half up to him is a little bit harsh on them. But we're also sat there trying to get through with the same uh, three centre halves that we had when we got relegated five years ago. So, it, you know, there haven't actually been any, like, any signs of progress yet.
2: Goals have been a bit easier to come by of late, haven't they? C has looked bright since coming back from injury. How much of a of a boost is he going to be?
7: If he can do what he did when he first came, he'll be absolutely well. It'll be phenomenal for us. It'll be it'll be incredible. I mean, um, we've also we've bought this. Well, we took someone on loan from Shakhtar in the Ukraine, who seems to have just simply taken the chance to get away from the country, come to us, and then he's never actually featured in the squad at all. So there's there's some strange decisions being made at the club as well. If I'm honest
2: what's your take on the Pardew situation? It seems to pretty much everyone else that he's a bit of a dead man walking at the moment.
7: I think so. I mean, people, people say Newcastle fans are very quick to judge and they're saying it's very early on in the season to do something. But this is something that's been going on since Boxing Day of last season. It's not. This isn't, just, this isn't a new development. This is something that should have happened over the close, of, like the close season. Um, I mean, obviously, you did have a good season when you first came. Then in Europe, you had a bit of an excuse for that. I kind of felt sorry from last year because he didn't get the backing that we needed in the transfer market and said over the summer, you know, we've now signed the players we've put the money in there now he has got nowhere to hide and I I don't think he does but at the same time I can't see Mike Ashley sacking him because then he's given it to the fans and it's almost like a kind of a reservoir dog style standoff between the three parties now the fans, Alan Pardew and Mike Ashley
2: So do you think Pardew will turn it around? I mean, it's, it's only October, there's a long, long way to go but looking at your side there doesn't seem to be an awful lot of quality in there
7: I don't know. I mean, um, for the remainder of the Swansea game at the weekend, he brought a second striker on, made the bold decision to go to that, you know, four four two again, and straight away we looked the better side. We passed the ball around, um, you know, when you signed Rivera, up front, started to look quite good. He got in the way, helped set up the second goal, and we actually had a bit more about us. It helped the Swansea bring on him in his mind because they essentially played with the man down, but. We just we actually passed the ball around. We got well and you want us for the last 15 minutes? I honestly thought we we might have been able to just sneak a third goal.
2: And after the break, you've got a home game against Leicester. I suppose that's maybe a bit shit or bust for pardue Is it? Can you imagine? There's going to be a lot of a lot of pressure on him from the fans again. There.
7: Oh, there'll definitely be pressure, especially um, like you say we're being back at home. But I just I don't know. It's getting very difficult to judge what's going to happen with Newcastle these days. I I, I can't for the life of me see Ashley getting rid of Pardue. And I can't see Pardew walking.
2: So, it, it does like, seem a, uh, it's a bit of a Mexican standoff, isn't it? I mean there's the thing about Pardew's eight year contract, but apparently he only gets only he only gets <laughs> one year one year's pay, but yeah, Ashley's famously frugal, isn't he? And he won't wanna sack him, but, but it's not it in Pardew's interest to walk.
7: No, yeah, exactly. It's not in Pardew's interest, and if Ashley does it, it looks like he's giving it to the fans. And on the one hand I do like the idea of a chairman who you know does his own thing. But at the same time, how bad you let it get? There's, there's almost a kind of gallows humour when you castle find out to see just how bad things have to get before something changes.
2: <laughs> to come back to you then, Jules, same question really. Do you think it needs a, a managerial change for things to improve at Loftus Road?
6: I th- I think it does. I'm, I mean, I know that Tony Fernandez has come out and said that when they got rid of Mark Hughes, it didn't make any difference and they still went down. And I know that we went we went through a phase of having manager after manager, and that was destabilising as well. So I'm not usually for getting rid of managers and guess there's a really good reason, but I just can't see us going anywhere with Harry at the moment. And I, I don't know how much he cares anymore, like you say. I mean, I, I used to be a big fan of Redknapp and I think he does a job for you, but... It, it all seems to be a bit diminishing returns at the moment. really. But having said that, I don't know who would want that job at the moment, really. I mean, I don't know who else we would be able to get of quality that would that would be able to keep us up.
2: I think there's always people interested in Premier League jobs, isn't there? But when you've got a, a club that's obviously going to be up against it, yeah, the, mm. the flip side is that no one wants that relegation on their CV, do they? So no, it's tricky. Exactly. And mm. I suppose QPR is probably not as big a draw as the club like Newcastle, where you've got the the prestige and forty odd thousand fans to think about.
6: It's, it's true, although we do have money. So so you would you would have. I mean, the board hasn't stopped giving Harry money to spend on ridiculous old tats. So so we we will have money to spend. I don't know. I'd love to see someone like Alan Kirby give it a go, but who knows.
2: Might be a job for, for David Moyes, actually. Certainly at Newcastle, Scott, what do you think about prospects of Moyes? He, he certainly needs a, a project, doesn't he, to rebuild his reputation.
7: Oh, definitely. I think someone like Moyes has got a track record of getting size at least into the top 10 every season um, and working with very, very small budgets. But I think personally, I'd have to question uh, the motivation and mentality of any manager who chooses to come to us at the moment with the kind of this this ambition of finishing somewhere between 10th and 7th every season doesn't exactly... You know, get your heart foot on.
2: And the, the thing about the cup football at Newcastle, I find really strange. If you're not going to try and win a cup and you're just going to be in mid-table, you've got to question what the point of the club existing is.
7: Exactly. And I think, you look at us, it'd be very easy to win our fans over by just having a good go at the cup. I mean, Sunderland managed to get to the final last year. There's, you know, teams can do it. I mean, there's been some, um, what you'd call probably mid-table, lower mid-table sides have won it in the past couple of seasons. It, it's up for people to go for if you want to actually have
2: a go. Exactly. Well, thanks a lot to both of you for your time and best of luck for the rest of the season although obviously, hopefully Burnley will be above both your teams at the end of the season. <laughs> I find
6: that hard to disagree with, unfortunately.
2: <laughs> thanks a lot. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks to everyone who's listening. Uh, if you've got any feedback uh, please do get in touch on Twitter um, via our Twitter page which is at nonaynever.net or email us podcast at net. Remember to vote in those awards, it's knownynever.net slash fbas if you are interested in helping us out there as well. Um, And thanks as always as well, finally to our sponsors at Neville G.
1: Bye. The Talksport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football.
0: Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the Talk Sport Fan Network. Talk Sport. Powered by fans.